We, reckon, we recognize that what we do for the Lord is for the glory of God, that we're in a work of labor, and as the sermon title suggests, we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. <clears throat> Little do I realize at times that as you live your life and as you do certain things, that those things have a tendency of coming back to you in one way or another. We just finished camp, and I was just reminded this evening that we had a camper that had returned after being gone for a good number of years. And when she was there years ago, she had asked the question to me during the, the day. She wanted to know what we were having for breakfast in the morning. And I told her you were having Cheerios and that you get five. And uh, <clears throat> so she came through breakfast line and they had a little bowl set off the side with five Cheerios in it, placed it on her plate. Uh, well, she found a way to get back at me, which is okay. I was reminded this evening by one of our cooks that when she remembered who she was, she was tempted to give her some Fruit Loops. I said, what happened to Cheerios? She said, we didn't have any Cheerios. So I was thinking I could give her some Fruit Loops and do the same thing. But I said, got to watch out what you do. It does have a tendency to stay with you. We're reminded by Peter in the first letter of Peter and in chapter 2 at verse 21 about the suffering of Jesus that he left us an example to follow in his steps. We're to follow in the steps of Jesus and it has to do with suffering. It has to do with perspective and the concept of the life that we live. Reminded in the Hebrew letter and in chapter 12, down to verse 1 and 2. We'll look at verse 2. We're to look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He left us an example. He knew where he had come from. He knew why he had come. He knew what was to be involved in his coming. And he knew where he was going after he had accomplished his mission. But it had to be difficult to live his life here on this earth. 
Luke reminds us in Luke 5 and verse 16 that Jesus often withdrew in the wilderness to pray. You think about the task that he was given, what he was going to face, and how we at times will understand that we are servants of God and understand that persecution may come our way and will. But sometimes we forget what it must have been like for him and how that impacts us as he left that example. We know that he came to his own people and they did not receive him. Came to the people of God. Came to those who had been entrusted with the oracles of God. He came to those who had separated themselves from the world to be servants of God. And yet they refused to accept him. We can read again in Matthew 3. Down around verse 18, that Herod was seeking to kill Jesus, one of the Jewish people, if you will. Walking in his steps, trying to remind ourselves what happens when physically it appears that the world is set out on your absolute destruction. And that's why Paul would say, you need to be steadfast. You need to be unmovable. You need to always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Those that you think would accept, sometimes are the very ones that will not accept. You can look over in Mark chapter 3 and verse 21. And you can read about his own family, his physical family, who said he's out of his mind. They did not accept who he really was. And the difficulty in that, he came to his disciples. And yet, as you read in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, down around verse 66, when the teachings of Jesus became more difficult, many of his disciples turned away from him and walked with him no more. When it became hard to follow God from the human perspective, they simply walked away. John 6, then verse 70. Even as Jesus had chosen the twelve, one of them would be a devil. Even as one would be handpicked by God, 
And that's what we are. God's picked us. And the essence that if we will hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, we can be his child. But even those that had turned or gave up all to follow him, there would be one in there that would not and would be called the, a devil. And all of the disciples at one time would deny him, Matthew 26 and verse 56. Again, thinking the eternity with God involved in the creation of the world laying out a plan of redemption for mankind that would save man who had no opportunity to save himself and those that he walked among would not accept him. And we fuss when things go a little sour for us. Shouldn't be that way. We're God's people. God's people shouldn't be treating one another this way. <coughs> but they do. And that's a sad commentary. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? What did the people say about him? Mark 6, verse 3. This is the carpenter's son. In essence, saying, how could he be the Messiah? I mean, he's the carpenter's son. We know him. We grew up with him. And that's who he is. Mark 6, 3, he's called the carpenter. This is the carpenter. That's his occupation. I mean, we know this guy. We're not seeing, or they're not seeing, the reality of who he really is. And in essence, the world is the same nature, if you will. They do not see in reality who we are really. We're not just flesh and blood. We are the children of the living God. And we have a hope for heaven. And being this child of the living God, we're going to be at odds with the world. And as scriptures would clearly tell us, from even from among our own selves, that's going to be the case. Ours is to be steadfast, unmovable, Always abound in the work of the Lord. Mark 3 and verse 22. He did miracles. And yet he's called doing it by the power of Beelzebub. The prince of demons. Doing good. Physically healing the sick. Raising the dead. Allowing the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. And that's the work of the devil, they said. Give no credence to who God really is, to who the Son was. At Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus was with his disciples, 
In Matthew 16, he asked them, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Isn't that interesting? They deny him raising the dead. It's calling out the work of the devil. And then they turn around and say, well, that's John the Baptist. Who's been what? Raised from the dead. He's Elijah. Or one of the prophets. And I've said before, you ask people, who do you think Jesus is? And you'd be surprised at the answers that you get. And when man gives the answers, you can pretty well be assured that they're wrong. And Peter was willing to confess that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And was told that you didn't get that from man. That was revealed to you from God. But even Peter, who made that confession, within a few verses later on, would deny the plan of God. Jesus said he must go into Jerusalem. He would be betrayed. He'd be crucified. He'd be raised again the third day. That's the prophecy. And Peter said, no, Lord, that's not going to be. Even the apostle had his mind in the wrong place. We're looking for the kingdom of heaven in the physical sense here on earth. They were. We're looking for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of peace here on this earth. We think we're going to be at peace with those around us. But there is no peace with those that are around us that are of the world. We're at odds with one another along that line. You think about the disciples again. Jesus handpicked 12 men to be his disciples, handpicked them. Spent all night in prayer to his father before he chose them to be his disciples, his followers, his learners. And yet as you read through the scriptures, you find them time and time again discussing among themselves which one of them was the greatest. When Jesus questioned them, what were you discussing on the, way, on the way? They didn't want to tell him. Because that's what they were discussing. Who was going to be number one? Had not grasped the concept of Matthew 20 and verse 28. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. They would miss the lesson of John 13. The creator of the universe girding himself with a towel and to wash the disciples' feet. We're to be 
imitators of God, of Christ. He left us an example to follow in himself, to be servants. We wrestle about prestige. We wrestle about who's going to do what and why are they going to be able to do that? Why do we choose that person? Whatever else is involved. We're here to serve. And it doesn't matter the area of service. Because you need to think about Jesus leaving heaven to come to this earth to serve. Whatever it is that we're asked to do, it's not below our dignity. That we're following the master. And we can do those things. Doesn't matter who gets the credit, doesn't matter what's going on. Is is are we serving God in a way that would be pleasing in his sight? He left us an example to follow in his steps. He had to learn how to deal with temptations. And as a, you have to understand what temptations are, that desire to do something. I don't think I've ever heard anybody confess that they are tempted to read their Bible every single day. I don't think that's a temptation. That's not a temptation. Temptation would be saying when I'm up at camp, I want two Snicker bars instead of one. And I promise you, if I asked for two Snicker bars, I would have got two Snicker bars. But the temptation <coughs> is to say no. He was hungry after 40 days. The devil, in tempting him, said, turn these stones to bread. He was hungry. He had a desire for it. And he had the ability to perform it. But in doing that, he would not trust his father. The father was always with him. And that quote in Matthew 4, 4 goes back to Deuteronomy 8. And you've heard me say that many times in verse 3. And if you read Deuteronomy 8, 3, you need to read verse 2. The Lord tested you these 40 years to find out what is in your heart. What we go through in life, a lot of it is a test. God wants to know what is in your heart. Are you serving God because you're being blessed physically? Are you serving God because of the cross of Calvary? When things get bad, why are you serving God? The Hebrew writer says, for the joy set before him, the joy of being back with his father, he endured the shame and the, and the mockings because he knew there's something better coming. And we have that in our life. Things are not always going to be the way we want them to be. And sometimes it may look like the world has turned up upside down in our midst. 
But are we going to be steadfast, unmovable, always abound, abounding in the work of the Lord? To take him up to the, temp, the <clears throat> pinnacle of the temple and tell him to jump. The angels will take charge of it. It is written. <clears throat> and that's the reminder we need in our lives as well. Satan knows scripture. And Satan is able to take scripture out of its context and use it as an enticement against us. All things are lawful for me. I like that part. But not all things are profitable. And I'm not going to be mastered by anything that would pull me away from Christ. Well, they don't like those thoughts. They just like everything is lawful for me. God made it. I ought to be able to use it to enjoy it, whatever it is, legal, illegal, it doesn't matter. I have the right to that. No. You need to look at the master. Could he have jumped? Would the angels have held him up? Yes. But you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, that trust in God. Do you not believe that he is with you? Each step that you take? Do you not believe that he is the one that gives you the strength that you need? Each step that you take. So why would we tempt it to walk away? I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. With no suffering involved at all. If you just bow down and worship me. Yes, he could have. But all the kingdoms of this world and all their glory are what? Only temporary. And he would not have obeyed God. To give us something to think about. The Hebrew writer would remind us in that fourth chapter, in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He knows what temptation is, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He was tempted in all those areas as we are. But it's simply saying, to whom do you put your trust? Whose voice are you going to listen to? The one that says, here's the easy road. Here's the broad way that does what? Leads to destruction. But this narrow way, this limited way, what leads to life eternal. Which voice are you going to hear? Which voice are you going to want to follow in the life that you live? And again, spend time in Matthew 26, Luke 22. Look in the garden. Matthew 26, he was exceedingly sorrowful. In Luke 22, he had sweat like drops of blood. Anguish to the point of death. Cried out to his father. But as he finished those prayers, 
He petitioned God. He believed God heard him. And he believed God answered him. There was it not another way. And after he had prayed, he simply got up and said, my betrayer's at hand, let's go. He left us an example. At any point in our life, we need to turn to him for the counsel and the strength that we need. One of the most interesting verses about Jesus is found in Luke 2, 51-52. Jesus, at 12 years of age, had gone to Jerusalem for the feast. He had remained behind talking to the leaders, questioning and answering. <clears throat> he told them in Luke 249 that he had to be about his father's business but also says that he went home with Joseph and Mary and he continued continued in subjection to them that's Christian life is it not in subjection to the father for us, for the Father in heaven. Jesus knew that. He left us that example. It's a lot easier to simply be in subjection and do God's will, even in the fleshly life. We want to cry, it's not right. It's not fair. It shouldn't be that way. They shouldn't have their rights and then infringe on my rights. All of this is temporary. The soul is eternal. And the soul will either be with God in heaven or away from God in eternal punishment. That choice is ours. Which one do you choose? Do you really want to choose to be with God eternally? Follow the master. Follow in his steps. He'll show you the way to go. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. And with every temptation, God will provide the way of escape. He'll help us, always has, always will, to go through this life into eternity. Where are you this evening? If you need to make a change in your life, are you not willing to do it? To do His will? Are you coming to Jesus? He's the Savior. He's the answer. He's the hope. He's the helper. He's the guide. Be like him and follow him. If we can assist you, if we can help you in any way this evening, indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.